Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Every night this week, we're going to do a segment on treatments for COVID. So you get COVID, what are your options exactly? You should know much more about it than you likely do. All of us should. So earlier this year, a review published in the American Journal of Therapeutics found that an anti-parasitic drug called ivermectin may in fact be a very effective treatment for COVID. After looking at data from randomized controlled trials, researchers concluded that ivermectin led to, quote, large statistically significant reductions in mortality, time to clinical recovery, and time to viral clearance. Other trials and meta-analyses have suggested similar benefits. The problem is You can't get ivermectin in this country, even if a doctor prescribes it. Pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens, they're not scary or anything, reportedly are refusing to fill the prescriptions because why? We reached out to both of those companies and neither one denied it. CVS said that their, quote, pharmacists are empowered to use their professional judgment when reviewing a prescription and a prescriber's diagnosis. Walgreens had a similar statement. It was totally cool to give like opioids to drug addicts, but ivermectin, we can't have that. CNN doesn't want it. (laughs) <laughs> Mark McDonald is a physician. He's a clinical psychiatrist. He joins us tonight. Doctor, thanks so much for coming on. Um, before we get into why people are being denied ivermectin, do you think there's hope in ivermectin? Is it potentially an effective therapeutic for COVID? It could be a lifesaver. Uh, this medication, which has been shown to be safe, incredibly safe, and amazingly effective, for parasitic infections in children. In fact, it was so effective that the inventor won a Nobel Prize just a few years ago, has in many ways cured this viral pandemic in the countries where it's been instituted, uh, more recently or most recently in Uttar Pradesh in India. This drug is safe, it's effective, and it needs to be available widely to all patients in consultation with their doctor. CNN's against it for reasons that really baffle me, but as a result of that, apparently CVS and Walgreens, which really dominate pharmacies in this country, are in some places refusing to prescribe it, we are hearing. Why would that be? Well, this has happened to my patients. It's happened to patients of my colleagues. It's happening all over the country. Pharmacists are getting in between doctors and patients. They're denying life-saving medication, and they are complicit in hospitalizations and deaths from those patients. But as you just asked, the real question is why? Aren't we all supposed to be here to save lives, to improve health outcomes? And yet the only story we're hearing is mass, universal, coerced vaccination. So early treatment, not just with ivermectin, but with all of the therapeutics that have been used in the past year, is amazingly and mysteriously attacked, denied, ignored, Anybody who touches it, it's like touching the third rail. I discussed it a few months ago, and they came after me. My Twitter account was suspended. It's still suspended, even after I appealed. But the Twitter courts are apparently not in session now, and they haven't responded to my emails in the last three weeks. Perhaps this segment will help unlock it. Uh, Other physicians have been similarly attacked. They've had their prescriptions denied. So why is it happening? Why is early, safe, effective treatment not being talked about? I think that's a very, very important question. But you can buy Xanax by the pound, which kills an untold number of Americans every year. Really quick, as a doctor, can you, just between us, can you actually get ivermectin if you really want it? Can you, is it available or is it just totally shut down? It depends on where you go. Chain pharmacies, very, very difficult. Small pharmacies, independents, compounding pharmacies, 
and a small pharmacy here in Los Angeles where I send my patients have supplies. So you can get it if you look for it, but you often have to make many, many phone calls. Okay, so I'm starting to see a theme here. Big companies that control everything, bad. Small independent com companies that can use independent judgment, good. Um, doctor, I appreciate your coming on. I, I really hope that what you're saying finds a, a wide audience because I think it's interesting at the very least and potentially amazing uh, at the best. Thank you so much. Mark, wow, great to be with you. Um, I can't wait to ask you about what you said, uh, but first I wanna talk a little bit about your experience. So informeddissentmedia.com, here we go again. So much to talk about, so little time. Great to be with you. So you appeared on Tucker, wow. That's so awesome, and I, I watched it. I even took some pictures, told my family about it, and uh, I can't imagine how nervous you were. I was nervous for you, listening to every word. Uh, I was standing up. It sort of reminded me like at the, the last minute of a football game with you know your team making the final drive, and you're standing up and nervous, rooting them on as if your rooting them on is going to have an impact as they're playing in some faraway stadium. So Tell, tell us a little bit about what was it like? How did, you, how did it come about that you ended up on the Tucker Carlson show? Well, Jeff, it's nice to know that there were so many people cheering me on in absentia because you're certainly feeling quite alone when you're being interviewed on this show. <laughs> I'll explain why. I was surprised to receive an email last Friday from the executive producer of Tucker Carlson Tonight, who I had briefly corresponded with way back in May of this year while I was out in Nevada taking a defensive shooting course when I got a phone call from the one and only Dr. Peter McCullough, who had just appeared on the Tucker Today Show. And he said, you know, I really think that this kids and masks issue is a big deal right now, and we've got to get you on that show. We've got to expose this mask nonsense for what it is. It's really hurting kids. I said, hey, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. And he connected me up with the different schedules for the uh, Tucker Carlson Today Show. That really didn't go anywhere, and I guess they pivoted to other topics, and the whole issue got dropped until last Friday. And then I got this email out of the blue from the executive producer of the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show, which is his nightly cable broadcast of topical news with clips a few minutes long for an hour. And she said, hey, I, you know, we, we were in touch a while back. I'm sorry we never really followed through with uh, the discussion of having you on the Today Show. So are you still up for coming on the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show? I said, absolutely. What do you want to talk about? And she said, well, we want to talk about ivermectin. And I kind of gnashed my teeth and thought, gosh, you know, I'm not, I'm not an ivermectin expert. I know a lot about it. I know more than most doctors, but I'm certainly not like a you know, Dr. Pierre Corey or Dr. Peter McCullough or Dr. Brian Tyson, these guys that have treated thousands of patients with ivermectin. So I said, well, look, uh, I'm happy to come on the show and talk about ivermectin and how it's uh, you know, being denied. They wanted to look at the pharmacy angle. But I said, I really want to add something to that because I don't want to get locked into a debate about efficacy and what's good and what's bad. I feel like it's really become a distraction in this whole argument. I want to, I want to look at it from a, a, a bigger picture, a, a higher altitude. I want to talk about why early treatment, not just ivermectin, but early treatment in general is being denied Americans. Why is it happening? I think that's a really important question, and it's a, lot of, uh, it's a question a lot of people are asking, and they're not getting good answers. So she said, fine, that sounds great. 
uh, we can't get you on tonight. It's a little late in the day, but how about Monday? I said, sure. She said, okay, I'll confirm next week. I got back to my office on Monday and I started to get some emails from her and she said, I think we're going to get you on. Probably going to be around 5, 5.30 Pacific. We, we air live at 8 o'clock on the East Coast. Um, are, you, are you still available? Of course I'm still available. I'd be, I'd be happy to go on. And then the interesting logistics started. Uh, she said, well, uh, can you come to the studio? And I said, well, where is the studio? Uh, there's a Fox studio <laughs> in between my home and my office, a pretty big one where they film 911 Emergency and all the Fox TV shows. Uh, she said, no, 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 you, we, we don't allow anybody in there that's not an employee. I said, okay. She said, there's a studio we'd really like you to go to, and it's, uh, it's in Palms. Well, the city of Palms is this sort of little no man's land, kind of in between the the, the west side by the ocean and the east side in downtown L.A. Uh, it, it's, it's really a kind of uh, a place you just drive past. You don't really stop there. And I looked up the address and I found that it's actually a place that I've driven past almost every day for the last five or six years next to a, a little restaurant that's now in the street because you can't eat indoors called Lobster and Beer. And I said, I know exactly where that is. It's next to Lobster and Beer. I'd be happy to go there. It's on my way home. She said, well, we'll get you a car. I said, no, I, I don't need a car. I'm fine. I have my own car. Just show up, tell them who you are, and they'll put you, prep you, get you into a green room, put you in front of a screen, and we'll, we'll go live towards the end of, this, of the hour. We'll put your segment on towards the end. And so I said, yes. I got all prepared, uh, brought my, my better clothes to my office, and uh, you know, worked throughout the day to see my patients until uh, the time hit where I had to leave the office. The funny thing was, though, that right before I left, she sent me this desperate email asking me to fill out a uh, COVID safety form where I had to check boxes to, <laughs> to confirm that I hadn't been in contact with somebody with symptoms in the last seven days. And I had to attest that I had been wearing masks and gloves for the last 72 hours. Oh, goodness. And if I had not, and I said, no, I had not been, then I, I had to promise that I would show up at the studio wearing gloves and a mask. <laughs> and <laughs> I, just, I just prayed and hoped that this was also some sort of legal cover your you-know-what. Yeah. Um, and it, it turned out to be the case. They just needed the form filled out. Everybody was very nice. So that was the setup. Uh, to the actual event. It was actually uh, quite a lot of emailing, a lot of back and forth, but I have to say throughout that they were very professional, communicative, uh, they were uh, organized, and I was, I was very impressed with their professionalism. Well, that's wonderful. And so uh, you go to this place next to the, the Lobster House of sorts, and was it an actual studio you went into? So what it was was actually a, a rental office that had been converted into this giant space needle. Uh, it was actually uh, like a giant disc, almost like a UFO that was elevated about 30 feet off the ground, uh, connected to an office tower with a stairwell that went uh, from the parking lot up to a door on the side of this giant hovering disc. And inside of this, uh, this giant circle, uh, there were all these little rooms with monitor stations. I'd say 50 or 60 monitoring screens. I've never seen so many televisions and fl you know, flat screen displays in one place in my life. And it looked like there were two or three young guys, two or three millennials sitting around there monitoring all of the broadcasting traffic from the entire world in one little <laughs> swivel chair with 200 monitors. And they greeted me and they said, hey, yeah, we, we, we're waiting for you. Um, we're going to put you on around 45 minutes after the hour. 
So if you just uh, hang out here in this uh, in this this little room, uh, we'll we'll pull you in about five minutes beforehand and, and get you into the studio. So they ushered me into what they called the green room, which was actually just a, a little space with a television on the wall and a and a couch, and they were playing uh, Mexican wrestling on the television set. Nice. That always gets so, me ready for for big events. Yeah, I was I was really pumped up watching that wrestling. Uh-huh. Uh, they unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, switched the station after I sat down and switched it to the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show. So I was able to watch the clips as they were they were going through them. Um, after about a half hour or so of that, they pulled me in and said, "Well, time for you to go in the studio. Um, Tulsi Gabbard is on right now, and you're up next." So I went into this little room behind the green room, that was a room within a room, so it was completely soundproofed. And this is where uh, I get back to the lonely experience comment that I made earlier. Um, This guy walks me into the room and and sits me in a chair in the middle of a completely dark room with a spotlight attached to the ceiling staring right into my face. It looked like an interrogation room, actually. Mm. And I sat on this little chair that was elevated onto a platform. And on my right was a table with a little knob that had a plus and a minus. Plus for up volume and minus for down volume. They grabbed a little earpiece fitted it into my ear, and then I could start to hear the audio feed that was coming from the show. In front of me was another monitor with the show itself and one below it, which was a monitor of me staring into the screen. In the background was a superimposed image of the Los Angeles skyline. I asked him what it was, and he said it was L.A. I didn't recognize it because it was blurry. So it made it appear as if I were standing, let's say, at the top of a skyscraper in downtown L.A. Yeah, it, it looked on TV as, as if you were like standing outdoors or something. One would have thought that, given the background. Yeah. Uh, and yet I wasn't. I was actually inside of two or three rooms, all by myself, in the dark, with a light in my face, and a little tiny red dot right above the monitor with a smiley face with an arrow that said, look here. now what was really challenging about this was that i was by myself i was looking at a monitor but the monitor was about five seconds delayed so as you saw cucker's mouth speaking you heard the sound coming out slightly ahead of the mouth into the ear oh so i didn't really want to look at the screen because i wasn't sure that i'd be able to focus on mouth movements and audio that were out of sync so what i ended up doing was just staring above at the red dot ignoring the monitor and just listening to his voice yeah. in my ear and when i did that i actually felt like i could concentrate better uh, but i didn't look at myself i didn't look at the other monitor i just listened to the audio so it, it is very difficult and, and somewhat lonely to have a conversation with someone that you, you really can't see or can't see in sync. You're just listening to an, you know with an ear, ear pod, and at the same time, you know that you're being watched by everybody through a camera. So it's kind of the worst of both worlds where everybody looks at you, you don't see them, and you're also hearing somebody with a, a slightly delayed uh, video track that's playing. So it's, it's actually rather um, discombobulating. And you can understand why people tend to look around, they look up, they look down, they, they poke their ear, they get a little confused. Uh, I tried to keep that in mind and just stared straight ahead, tried not to interrupt or nod my head because I knew that that would just create more delays and just answer the questions, which I did. And the biggest surprise, which was sort of disappointing to me, although no one else seemed to notice because they all were pretty pleased with how the clip went, was that I had been promised four or five minutes to talk. And so I had all these talking points. I wasn't just going to talk about ivermectin. I was going to talk about 
how ivermectin and other treatment had been denied and the reasons for that and why it's uh, connected to the vaccine rollout. Did you have but notes with you? I did not have any notes with me. Uh, I probably couldn't have even looked at them or I would have been staring down at the floor. It would have looked really strange. Right. So I just had the uh, sort of memory in my mind of what I was going to say. And although I had expected to talk for four or five minutes, Tulsi Gabbard had been talking so much right before me incessantly that they had pushed me up against the hard break to the end of the show since yeah. I was the last segment and they wound yeah. up cutting me off after about two minutes of my own talk. So unfortunately I didn't get to the main part of what I wanted to say. And so I was actually uh, pretty upset when I left and very disappointed, but happily uh, after I left, I started to get texts and calls from people saying, I saw you in the show. I, I really thought that what you said was important. It was, it was well received. Um, and I said to some of the people I knew well, did it, did it look like it was cut off or I, I wasn't mm -hmm. able to speak fully? And they said, no, it didn't. So that was really nice to know that my perception was not what was uh, actually taken by other people. And it turned out a lot better than it had felt for me uh, in that little dark room by myself. Yeah, what a, what a great description. I feel like I was right there with you. You know, it's so interesting when you see recurrent guests on shows, whether it's Tucker or whoever, they act very natural, they're very good. And when you see guests for the first time, you get that sense that they're very uncomfortable. They're not sure where to look or, or how to respond. Um, and I know Tucker has this last segment, and depending on how the rest of the show goes, determines how much time that last segment person gets. And um, wow, what an interesting experience. Were you nervous? Oh, I was. I was uh, thankfully didn't have to show my hands or shake anyone else's because they were just <laughs> dripping. <laughs> and it wasn't from the light. I was I was really sweating. My hands were were were, uh, were, were very uh, drippy uh, because I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I was I was obviously concerned that I would screw something up or it would go go south because I've never done anything like that. I, I've done a lot of interviews, but they've generally been face to face or over Zoom. So uh, this was a completely different experience, and um, I I didn't want to blow it because I know that this is a big audience. It's the number one. Uh, cable broadcast in the United States. There's over 3 million viewers. And I knew that uh, ha had this not gone reasonably well, uh, I might have had a lot of roads foreclosed to me in, in, in getting additional interviews. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I can tell you I was nervous for you. I think my hands were sweating. Um, you came off as, as being a professional, like you were experienced, like you'd done that before. I don't think there was any indication that you were nervous. Uh, if you had to do it again, are there things that you would have said differently or uh, or talked talked about in a different order? If I had known the time frame would have was half of what I had expected, I would have uh, put all three of my points in the the answer to the first question. Right. I, I think my I called a mistake. I guess it's a mistake. It was only a mistake really because I just didn't have all the information. Was that I thought that he was going to tee me up for answering my points one after another right and and he it really wasn't his fault actually because he was he was cut too it was really the producers that that cut the time and they didn't have a chance right. to tell me in advance so what i would have done uh was after he asked that first question so why is this happening rather than explaining how it's happening and then giving it back to him which is what i did it's really a good question isn't it why is this happening and then him saying to me 
yeah, is there something else that we're not hearing about? And I would have said, yeah, you know, that's exactly right. Here's what we're not hearing. Right. What I would have done was actually answered the full question in about right. 45 seconds instead yeah. of going off on my little tangents because I thought I had some time and I, I, I didn't. For sure. So I, I want to save a little bit of time uh, in, in this uh, episode to talk about what you actually said, but a, a couple more questions first. Number one, you didn't have a tie on, and I'm curious why you why you decided to do that. I think if if and when I'm invited, I'll I'll likely have a a, a suit and tie on, and then uh, and then second, um, after the event, did you go over and have uh, lobster and beer at your at your favorite restaurant? <laughs> well, one thing that many people don't know, Jeff, is that psychiatrists don't wear ties because ah. we're told not to. Since when we go into inpatient units, they're often used as strangulation devices by <laughs> murderous patients. So I've never worn a tie uh, for that reason. But personally speaking, I don't really feel comfortable in them. They feel very constraining. Uh-huh. And I, I made the judgment that for somebody who's a psychiatrist who sits and speaks with patients, obviously without a tie on every day, that uh, I would look a little stuffy and unnatural uh, wearing a tie. And so that's why I decided not to wear it for the show. Yeah, so a tie to you feels a lot like a mask. It feels like a business mask. (laughs) Exactly. You know, interestingly, you know, when law enforcement officers wear a tie, and they do if they're dressed up formally, it's a clip-on tie for just that reason. In case a bad guy were to grab a hold of it, it would immediately come off so they couldn't use it as as a device to hurt them. That makes actually a lot of sense. And so the lobster and beer? I didn't go to lobster and beer because I looked it up on Yelp a few months ago and the reviews were mixed and it was overpriced. So I decided to go to my favorite Indonesian restaurant, which is about two blocks further away. And I had some uh, 24-hour slow-braised beef steak uh, with one of my good friends (laughs) and a giant um, sweetened coconut dessert drink. I love it. So I actually had a pretty good time. Now, when you watched uh, the event on Tucker, how do you think you did? I didn't get a chance to see it right away because there was no way to get a clip of it. Uh, He didn't put it onto his his feed. Usually they they put clips here and there. And uh, I I was eating dinner, actually, when it aired. So I wasn't able to watch it live. And although I have Fox Nation subscription, this Fox Nation, uh, Tucker Carlson Tonight, uh, repeats don't show up until the night after. Got it. So I was kind of in the dark about it until uh, a friend of mine said, "Hey, I found it on this uh, like left wing rag website that grabbed it and uh, started a hit piece about you, oh, saying boy. that you want to push dewormer again." Yeah. So there I looked at that and tried not to. The whole dewormer thing just kept coming back. Yeah. I, I ignored all of that and I just played it uh, the actual video clip. And uh, I was actually surprised uh, how professional the, uh, the lighting and the staging and the sound were. And I was, uh, I was pleased that my discipline in staring at that little red light rather than looking around the room and uh, not getting distracted made it uh, appear that I was actually staring at the camera. So, so that, uh, although it was very artificial for me, it, I think it actually came across as as, as more natural than it, than it felt. And I, I also did something that, and this was intentional, Jeff, and this comes from being a viewer of this show. I think you just made a comment about how 
people that haven't been on the show for, you know much before they always look very uncomfortable mm-hmm. one of the things that i always notice that they do is after Tuckle introduces them because of the tape delay they always say oh thank you i'm really glad to be here right as he's asking the first question yes yes all the time you didn't do that i didn't do it because i saw that the people that come on again and again you know what they do they just nod they don't speak after they're introduced because they don't want to have that that talking over moment and and it's almost it's a thing that i think tucker it's a thing that tucker does it's like a a little habit that he has where he doesn't leave people time to say, thank you, Tucker. Great to be with you tonight or something like that. He just speaks. He he just, he just asks that first question. That was very astute of you to know that. You know what else he does that I've noticed? And I don't see anyone else doing this on other shows. He will often jump right into his questions after he does the introduction. I think because he wants to cut that person off and prevent that person from starting a long thank you introduction response. Right, right. So he'll say, so this evening we have a renowned uh, family doctor from Orange County, Dr. Jeff Barkey. He's going to speak to us about ivermectin. Really great to have you on, Dr. Barkey. So let's talk about... He does that really fast. Exactly. Yeah. So you yeah. can't mouth the words. If the, you tendency were to give you a, is, the tendency is to want to say, oh, thank you, Tucker. Thanks for having yep. me, as he's asking the first question. Exactly. Super interesting. And, and at no time during your piece did you ever, you, you never said, uh, I don't think you used his name to say, well, Tucker, great question. Let me tell you this, that, or the other. I didn't. I didn't do that. It wasn't intentional. I didn't think one way or the other. Uh, if it had been a little bit longer, I probably would have. But right. because it was so quick, I don't think we really developed a, a friendship quickly enough. Yeah. <laughs> Let, so let's talk a little bit about what you actually said. The The event is super fascinating, and uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed uh, hearing it. I know I did because I'm always curious when I see just normal people go on a show like that what what does it feel like what's it like what's what's the actual experience from the person who's being recorded so you talked about ivermectin and the problem that many of us are having and that just the stuff just simply is not available uh readily like it should be uh the why behind it is is really curious and speculative uh but that's what you were talking about the importance of early treatment that ivermectin and other treatments actually work but there's this barrier between doctor-patient and delivering the life-saving, potentially, drugs to those patients. Well, I was inspired by an article that you brought up on our last podcast about ivermectin and its use in India at Uttar Pradesh. When he asked the question about its efficacy, I wasn't expecting that. And so I pulled that out of my brain from a few days ago, and I brought it up because I wanted to give some evidence for why this drug should be used. Where is it working? Where is it actually saving lives? And that's how I remembered to speak about it. I hadn't actually thought about it. It wasn't in my notes. It was just sort of uh, gurgling around in my brain. I really felt that the, uh, the lead up for ivermectin and why it is being blocked was, was really the more important point as opposed to the fact that ivermectin is a useful drug and, and all early treatment is helpful. So I, I had to kind of think on my feet with that first question, uh, even though the, uh, the, the, the points that he were making, uh, that he was making, were actually quite valid and important. Yeah, absolutely. So you made the point, you uh, described the use of ivermectin in India and uh, how it's likely saved hundreds of thousands of people. And if only we could uh, do that here. I had a conversation just today with a compounding pharmacist in, uh, in, a, in Orange County. 
And uh, I talked to him. He, he reached out to me, actually. He heard me on one of the radio shows I was interviewed on. And um, he said, listen, I'm, I'm happy to prescribe this to any of your patients, but I can tell you we've got a large supply right now, uh, but there's a backup in delivery. Um, our suppliers are out of it, and they're not sure when they're going to get it. I said, well, can't you just compound it? He goes, you know, I can, but here's the thing, uh, and I didn't know this. If a drug is commercially available, it is technically not legal for a compounding pharmacist to compound the same thing. What the compounding pharmacist can do is compound things that aren't commercially available. So we all hear about bioidentical hormones, for example, so they can compound that because there isn't a commercial product that somebody can purchase. And he said, so I've got the commercial product in stock and I'll be happy to dispense it, but I can't compound it for you. There's a compounding pharmacy in San Diego that I use, and uh, he's happy to compound the ivermectin in any dose that you want. So rather than have to take five or eight three milligram pills, he will compound a 15 milligram pill for you um, or two 7.5s or whatever the dose might be. So it's really interesting, the world of pharmacy and how they operate. Um, and it's, it's really unfortunate. I truly believe that these pharmacies that are colluding to not dispense ivermectin and other uh, treatments are complicit in injuring patients. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say in some cases patient death because they can't get products in a timely manner and they end up ultimately in the hospital. So as we wrap up this episode, Mark, first of all, thank you for sharing your experience. Um, I want to remind our listeners, informeddissentmedia.com. Go there, reach out, let us know how you like what we're doing, if there's any other topics um, that you want to hear. Uh, Spread the word, share the podcast, and most importantly, keep listening and thank you for doing so. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.